Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Tom, Oliver, and Justin. This is the 64th Fireside Chat, and we're very excited to be with you today. Let's get started today with one of the new members to the Fireside Chat, Giuseppe, who's coming to us from Argentina. Go ahead, Giuseppe. Um, good uh, afternoon, everyone. First of all, I want to manifest uh, my thankfulness to all of you, especially to the MBT team, Keith, Oliver, and Donna, for letting me participate here. And second of all, for me, it's an honor and a privilege um, to talk with Tom. His books have changed my life forever, and I'm really, really thankful for him for all of his work. I will start my questions. I have two. I'll start with the first one. I'm going to read it. So here it goes. Um, how can we maintain positiveness and love in this situation? I mean, I try to be optimistic and real, trying to have all the health precautions and accept whatever it comes as learning experiences. I ask myself, what is my role in all of this crisis? And my answer is hope. Hope for people getting better. Hope for a new loving world to come and be one more positive source of love intentions. But the problem is when I hear other people around me talk about news all the time, the end of the world, crisis, fear, anxiety. I try to be courageous, but in my trying to listen empathetically and caring for the other, I cannot help being influenced by their feelings and my emotional equilibrium starts to shatter. How can we have more spiritual resilience to negativity while caring for the others in a more compassionate and meaningful way? That is my question. Okay. The question is really one of spiritual resilience. You know, how can you not be brought down by the uh, kind of miasma of fear and, and uh, upset and, and uh, uh, unrest, uncertainty? All of that is very thick in the, in the, in the cognitive uh, atmosphere. It's all very, very thick. Well, you have to have the right perspective. <clears throat> That's the key thing. It's the perspective. You have to let other people be how they are and who they are. And if they're upset and they're wringing their hands and, yes, it's the end of the world and so on and so on, you can have empathy for them without attaching to their ideas and their concepts and their fear. In other words, you can listen to them, but you're listening to them um, with detachment. Now, detachment doesn't mean that you don't care. Detachment means that you have your ego detached from their ego. Okay, so that's, and in as much as you let go of your own fear and are not in that, uh, that unhappy, uncertain, you know, frightening space, then the way to actually do that is to detach your ego from that situation. So if you get pulled back into it with friends and family and other people, that's because you haven't really gotten beyond it yet. 
you're still somewhat attached to it. So just keep working on yourself so that you you let other people be how they are. You have compassion for them because they're very unhappy. They're very frightened. They're very upset. And you can maybe say things that help calm them down. And just the fact that they see you, a person that's calm, a person that isn't upset, will help them not be upset. You know, when everybody around you is upset, it's a little harder, which is the point that you're making. It's a little harder not to be upset yourself. Well, the opposite's true. If there's people around you who aren't upset, then it's easier to let go of some of your upset. So, you know, the, what you can do to help most here is to detach your ego from the situation, to become fearless, to be caring, to be compassionate with these people, but don't attach to them. Let them be them and you be you. And uh, the only way that they pull you down is if you're still attached and still connected with your ego to their ego. So if you let that go, then you just let them be, be calm, give them a hug, you know, whatever you can do that might help them feel better, and then just let it go. And if they continue just to be upset, well, there isn't anything you can do about that. That's, that's their path. You can't fix it. So you have to, when I mean let them be, I mean don't try to fix them. Just give them comfort of your, of your own uh, positiveness, you know, in your, in your own joy without trying to fix them and make them change the way they are. You can talk to them and say, well, you know, there's nothing really that you can do about it. And if you can't do about it, anything about it, then worrying about it or being upset about it really doesn't help much. You know, it just makes you unhappy. So you can talk to them, but don't talk down to them. Don't talk in a way that makes them feel like, oh, there's one more problem that they have, and that is that they're too frightened and that they have too much anxiety if they're really not capable of dealing with that anxiety. They haven't grown up enough to deal with the anxiety. So we don't want to make them feel worse, <clears throat> but we do, you know, want to help them any way we can. So that's kind of how to be a little more um, robust in your in your feelings. Accept things the way they are. If there's things you can change, like put on your own mask, and, and maybe I should say what we're talking about here, folks, is COVID-19, because this video is still going to be out in the world <laughs> You know, five or ten years from now, and people are going to say, he said, with what's going on now, what was that? What was going on then? Well, really what we're talking about is a, is a, a pandemic of a, of a very uh, virulent and uh, very dangerous uh, virus that's kind of loose on the world. This is, this is uh, spring 2020, and we're right in the middle of it. So that'll let our audience in the future know what we're talking about. So let people be, care for them. Don't join them in their misery. Don't have to fix them. It's something they have to deal with. Um, see the see the positiveness in it. Realize that this is opportunities for a lot of people to grow up. Opportunities for a lot of people to. Um, Maybe go through some hard times, but come out better for it at the end. Look at the look at it not being as a terrible, awful thing to endure, 
but rather a terrible, awful thing that we can learn from. You know, it's something that we can we can uh, gain perspective from, help us see bigger pictures. Because if you just get stuck in the little picture, then you're going to be miserable, unhappy, and frightened. And if that isn't going to change, then that puts a lot of pressure on people to grow up and let that go, make their peace with it, accept it. And maybe that'll take months of people being in the space, but more people will make that trip, will make that jump to making their peace with it and dealing with it. And when it's all over, they'll kind of hold that larger perspective. So it's also an opportunity for people to grow up as they have to go through this. So every every dark cloud has a silver lining, you know, and if you if you focus on the on the, the positive side of it, then that can help you you know, deal positively with the negative side of it. Thank you Jan, go ahead with your question. Thank you, Giuseppe. Thanks for letting uh, Jan go next. We'll come back to you after after his question. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you, can you hear me? Good? Because the microphone is kind of... Okay. So um, I got a topic about um, a friend. I, I met him. His name is Damien. I want, I want to give uh, greetings from him and uh, big thanks. If, if you want to come in, yeah. you can. Um, Hello. <laughs> um, so, so the thing is, um, my question is about his story where he was um, meeting. Um, let's, let's start right at the beginning. So um, about two months ago, um, he was starting to uh, um, hear some uh, whisperings in his head and he started to, to focus on them where they got stronger and morphed into voices. Like uh, he, he started to hear voices and then they got stronger to a point where he couldn't uh, turn them off anymore. So then... Um, tests starts to appear to him, like fear tests in the real life, also in dream reality, but mostly in, in, the, in the real life, where he was uh, confronted with death, um, stealing like um, different uh, body sensations where um, his pulse started, uh, where his pulse uh, was dissipating and those um, beings uh, were doing stuff to, to his energetic body or to his body. And he was tested in different ways. That's what he inter interpreted. And so the, the main question is, after some time where he was uh, starting those tests, he, uh, um, he got into a clinic where when, when it was not, um, um, how do you say, like um, it was not, he couldn't take it anymore. And then he was in a clinic and the tests went on and to, um, through some coincidences. And after he had um, made a message in, in the forum of, of the MBT, um, I messaged him and we, we met. He was just living uh, like it was just uh, around the corner. And so we just met and we talked about this stuff and um, the basic thing is now uh, he has two simple questions. Are uh, his um, these voices? Uh, they got more and more friendly, 
and today they are not as strong anymore because he takes medication. Um, those medications help him to sleep because in the beginning they uh, they uh, the voices were hindering him to to sleep because of uh, birds' voices or shouting at him, so he couldn't sleep. And um, he also has contact with with his angel and. He basically wants to know if his these voices they tell him that they are his guides, and he want he wanted you to check if they are legitimate. Also, because they say they are his guides, and I also want to say that they sometimes lie and test him, but get more and more friendly. It's uh, it's kind of two voices, um, and one of them is more and more dis disappearing. And yeah, I think I got everything at the moment, which is important, I think. Yeah, so uh, like uh, one question, um, are his guides like real? What What is this all about? And um, to check if the guides are real or, or the, the angel um, is, what is the difference between a guide or an angel? And can the voices uh, go away? Okay. Um, first question I'll answer first, and that is, no, these are not your guides. Uh, it is something else. Um, guides do not work heavy-handedly. They don't come in and start taking over your life and telling you what to do. Uh, they don't uh, impose themselves on you. That kind of a of a uh, interface is not the interface that you will have with a larger consciousness system. So it's not very likely that these are guides. Okay. Now, exactly where their origin is. Um, that's a little harder to to uh, ascertain, but there's a very high probability that they are self-created. Some part of yourself that feels not good about yourself or feels like you're not making good progress or feels uh, inadequate or whatever can re-emerge as this, as these, these guides and these other voices. It can be part of your own fear manifesting itself as voices. So that's a, that's a possibility. That's a strong possibility. It's also possible that these, um, uh, voices just belong to other IUOCs, other individuated units of consciousness, and that they are what, annoying you, uh, bullying you, uh, having some fun, uh, making you jump through hoops. And that is also a possibility, but less likely. It's, it's more likely that this is a manifestation of fear that's at your subconscious level, fear that you're not aware of. So what should you do? Can the voices go away? Yes. Um, 
make them go away, you have to take control. You have to be in charge. And this is true whether you have actually true guides or not. You always have free will and need to be in charge. Do not let anything or anyone take over your free will and tell you, you need to do this, now you need to do that, and kind of take over your life. That is not appropriate. You always have to make your own choices. So you have to regain your control over your own life, over what's going on. As, you know, as these entities want you to do this or do that or give you a test or whatever, just don't cooperate. Don't interact. Ignore them. If it's the, if it's the latter, if it's other IUOCs, eventually they'll get bored with you. You won't be any fun anymore and they'll leave you alone. If it's your own fear, that's liable, which is the biggest probability. If it's your own fear, then, you know, the fear may come out in, in different ways. It, it may, um, you know, the voices may go away, but something else may come and replace them. In that case, you just need to work with your fear. You need to look at what it is it that makes you negative. It makes you unhappy and understand what those fears are and have a very strong intent to get rid of that fear. But in any case, live your own life. Make your own choices. Don't be bullied. Don't let other entities, no matter who they claim to be, tell you what to do and how to think. You have free will. You're in charge of your choices. Make those choices the, you know, the way you think is best to make the choices, not because somebody else is claiming authority and telling you what to do. The larger consciousness system will not work that way. It won't come to you, claim authority and tell you what it is you need to do. So these are not, it's not the LCS. It's not, you know, guides are actually just your personal interface with the LCS. That's what a guide is. Now, you interpret them as entities. You interpret your guide as some other, you know, being out there that you're working with. But it's really your personal interface with the larger consciousness system. And the larger consciousness system will not bully you or push you around or tell you what to do. So if the medication helps, then I would continue with the medication. If it if it helps you, continue with it. Until you can get it more under control, and as as it as you get it more under control, then let the medication go slowly. Eventually, you want to get off the medication because medication has side effects that are not helpful. So, as quickly as you can get off of it, that's good. But if it's helping you deal with it, then keep it, use it as long as you need it. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was really helpful. Um, and can you tell us the difference, maybe, uh, what the difference between guides and angels are, like the pro- protection angels? Uh, really not, just a different name. You know, the, the angel, I have to know a little bit more about this angel and what it does and how it works, but it's probably a guide just by another name, a guide that's working in another, uh, you know, through another metaphor. Guides can work through all kinds of metaphors. 
You know, they can come to you and take on an image of whatever is going to be most helpful to you. So they can be male, they can be female, they can be young, they can be old, they can be angels. You know, they can be anything that makes a good connection with with your own mind and your own consciousness. And if they are gentle and if they are caring and if the relationship with them is always positive, then that is probably your connection with the larger consciousness system. So then that angel is just another kind of guide, if you want to put it that way. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you. That's helped. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, John. Giuseppe, you had your other question to ask. Please go ahead with that. Thank you very much. I will read my second question. Um, I am a bit confused with the concept of the path of surrender because I understood that I have to renounce my ego and give myself to a higher power or ideal. Might be an enlightened guru or the virtues and so on. But Tom also said that we have to be careful of belief traps and dogma, be skeptical and open-minded. But actually, what the guru teaches, teaches, let's imagine he's a good one, is sometimes dogmatic and with religious conducts. Should I just follow the guru teaches and I am on the path of surrender? I find the idea epistemologically a bit confusing. Can you clarify this for me, Tom? Yes. The path of surrender is indeed one where you surrender yourself. Okay, you, you surrender your your ego, as you say, and now you are going to basically serve this higher purpose, this this higher uh, sense of being. Okay, this is typically the religious path, the path of surrender. You you surrender yourself to the to something greater than yourself. Okay, it doesn't have to be religious; just something greater than yourself. And then all you do is an expression of this understanding and connection with this greater source. All right. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be skeptical. Again, you always have to make your own choices with your own free will. You won't grow up if the choice you make is not one of your own free will. If you make just one free will choice and say, well, I'll surrender now and I'll just do whatever anybody tells me. Well, you're not going to grow, actually grow up very much because you're not making those choices to be that way. You're just doing what you're told. You see, so the surrender has to be that you don't put yourself above that, that larger, that larger thing. You know, you don't put yourself above, say, the larger conscious system. The larger conscious system or your or your God or your guru or whoever, you know, that you you give them kind of um, authority, if you will, in the sense that you want to not please them, but you want to be like them. You're trying to emulate them. Well, if they do or say or act in ways that seem wrong to you then don't do them. 
don't say, well, I gave myself up. The guru says I need to go lie down in traffic. And, you know, if I'm a worthy person, I won't get run over. Well, just don't do that. That is not a good thing to do. You see, you still have to be skeptical. It has to be your choice. It's your choice to follow uh, a particular uh, religion, say, or your choice to follow a particular guru. And you choose that because it makes sense to you, because the things they say appeal to you, because you get results. You see, the problem with, well, I shouldn't say the problem, the risk with the path of surrender is that you end up surrendering your free will. You're not going to grow up if you surrender your free will. You surrender to something larger than you as as the thing you want to emulate. Okay, You don't surrender your free will. You always have to have your free will. Otherwise, it's not you changing your being and changing who you are. It's you following directions. That happens from your intellect. Someone with their intellect can follow directions and do what they're told. And if you're told, oh, meditate six hours a day, oh, well, just follow directions. Meditate six hours a day. Uh, And if you're told this and told that, if you just do it because you're told, not because you see it as a pathway for you to to emulate this higher power and to be more like it, if you don't see that connection, then you need to find some other teacher. You need to find a teacher that resonates with you more. You know, there's all kinds of ways to teach. Sometimes people learn by doing, you know, hard labor, you know, getting themselves exhausted. Other people, that won't help them at all. They're exhausted. They can't think well. You know, it just depends. You have to find a situation where this, where what you surrender to is a concept, an idea, not a person. It's not, you know, it's not an individual. It's not an avatar here. It's not a person. It's a set of concepts. It's a way of being. It's truth. It's love. It's the embodiment of that. That's what you surrender yourself to, not George Jones, you know, the guru. That's not who you surrender yourself to. It's a conceptual thing. And your your surrender is that you just try to be like it. You're surrendering your sense of, of um, you know, your ego in the sense that I want this, I want that, I need this and that. That's what you're surrendering. Your wants, your needs, your, your ego stuff you're trying to let go of. That's the key. So the path of surrender is just another, another way to help you let go of your ego. But you can't and shouldn't let go of your free will. You have to make these choices. By making the choice to always be mindful of emulating the, the guru or the larger consciousness system or whomever, then you're, you're making choices how to grow. You'll get to that and say, well, how should I, you know, how should I approach this problem in my life? How should I deal with this? And then you'll think, well, how, how would the larger consciousness system deal with it? Or, you know, how would, Jesus deal with it, or how would Muhammad deal with it? You kind of, you look at that, and then you try to emulate that, not by action, not by just acting differently. You see, it can't be 
that you act like somebody. You have to be it. If you're just acting, you're just following directions, you're not actually growing. You don't evolve by doing. You evolve by becoming, by becoming somebody different. So unless it's your free will choice that's that's the engine behind your evolution, you're not really evolving. You're just learning how to act more, evolve perhaps. If you do everything the guru says and you meditate six hours a day and you you know, uh, work for the poor and you do this and you do that, people may look at you and say, ah, there's a very spiritual person. But that may not be true at all. That may be just somebody that surrendered their free will to somebody else and what they're good at is following directions, but they haven't really grown spiritually at all. And we all know of people like that. People have been in a monastery for, you know, two decades and they still have egos big enough to trip over. You know, when they, you know, when they interact with people, they're still pushy and still not very grown up. So they're good actors, perhaps. But just because you spend time in a monastery and meditate six hours a day doesn't mean you're going to grow up. You have to make choices of how you deal with things. And the choices have to be made for the right intent. And the intent can't be to copy someone. It has to be your free will that is coming up with that intent. So that's the way to, that's the way to look at that. You're not trying to give yourself up to somebody. You're trying to give up your self-centeredness for an ideal that's bigger and better than that. That's really the surrendering. You're surrendering to the ideal not to the man or the person or the office or the institution. None of that is really that important. And a really good guru that you say, let's imagine he's a good one, is one of the things you said. Well, a really good guru is going to tell you that. He's going to tell you, it's not about me. If I tell you to go in a corner and stand on one foot, you know, it's not about me. You should question that. You need to learn from it. Now, one of the ways that a guru might help you get rid of your ego is just to do things like that. Go stand in a corner on one foot just to see what happens. But it's not because he needs you to stand on one foot. It's just he's he's letting you work through what am I going to do with that? Are you just going to go do it like a little slave? Or are you going to you're going to question and say, you know, what is the you know, what is it that I should learn or what should I be doing? And if he says, well, go figure it out, well, try to go figure it out. And if it works for you, then do it. If it doesn't work for you, then say, sorry, this isn't working for me. We need to, you know, we need to try something else. And just because a guru told you to do that, well, it doesn't mean that'll work for you. And if he's, if he is a good one, and you say, this, this isn't working for me. I'm not grasping whatever it is you want. It's just, you know, I'm just spending time like that. I'm not upset about it, and it doesn't annoy me. I just do it, but I don't find the value. And could you help me find that value? Then the guru would talk to you and help you find that value. He'd give you some hints. Well, next time, try to not just sit there, you know, watching me. Try to, you know, get, get into point consciousness. Try to uh, do this or do that while you're there. You know, it'd work with you. 
So that's the, that's the free will. That's the awareness that you have to have. That's the skepticism you have to have. Always be skeptical of you. Be skeptical of your guru. Be skeptical of everything. And the stuff that works and helps you grow up, well, do more of that. And the stuff that doesn't work, it doesn't help you grow up, we'll do less of that. And that includes everything. That includes your guru. You know, if you're not doing well with that, then do less of it. Go someplace else. Find something else. To always be making these choices with your free will and always be reassessing and skeptical. Is this a good path? Because there, there's thousands of good paths. But some are really good for some people and others are not so good for those people. So you may try three or four paths before you get to one that really works for you. Just like you may try three or four gurus before you find one that really works for you. It, it needs to be something that works with you and for you. That's how you give your, that's how you give yourself up and remain skeptical at the same time. Yeah, being skeptical doesn't mean you're not giving yourself up because you're not giving yourself up to become a slave. You're giving yourself up to learn. You can't learn as a slave. All you do is act. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, Tom. Um, we'll go next to a new member of the Fireside Chat, Natalie, if you'd like to try to read your question. Thank you. Hello, um, I got a question about these lot of talks about Corona, which we um, meet everywhere, and um, I just wrote down some thinking about that, and yeah, um, in times like this, we can see so clearly like everybody is living in its own reality, and everyone is inside of its own bubble, of which news are concerned consumed and which experience do you have to deal with it? Every time we talk to others, these inuituated viewpoints of reality get mixed and sometimes even if you want to help someone lower their entropy, you don't arrive him or her because the other person is too focused to its own picture. Right now, um, I often think if not saying anything is more productive than having a discussion even if the intent would be uh, to lower entropy. It costs a lot of energy, may even without a result, because uh, there's something um, blocking the other person to see it in a different way. So maybe it would be just better to save the energy and use it to focus on a love-based future. Let the others just make their way and trust in the LCS that everybody will get the information that it needs in the right time. I'm not sure if this is really a good or useful way of acting. And I would love to hear what you think about that, Tom. Well, I think that the the last part where you talked about um, uh, it's better to save your energy to focus on love-based future and let others make their own way, that's generally the best way to work and not only do you do you uh, trust the lcs to you know to give the information that, to people as they need it but you also have to decide to how you help people 
has to be something that that you intuitively get at the same thing in the same time. In other words, it'll come to you that you need to go over and give Susie a hug or hold her hand a little bit or just sit and be with her because she's upset. And it'll just come to you intuitively that that would be very helpful and you need to do that. And in that case, it's a good thing to do. But if you are doing this intellectually, oh, how can I help? Oh, well, I see Susie over there. Maybe I should go over and sit down and hold her hand. Then it probably won't help. So you not only have to trust the LCS to give people what they need when they need it, trust yourself to give people what they need when they need it. Be in touch with your own intuition. And as you feel moved to do things, do them. And as you feel moved to leave them alone, leave them alone. In general, it is very difficult to help people understand or see bigger pictures in a direct way. Very difficult to do that in a direct way. If you walk up and say, you know, you're, one of your problems is you're stuck in a little picture here. You need to see a bigger picture of what's going on. That will generally just make everything worse. That's the direct approach. And the direct approach generally doesn't work and is more unhelpful than it is helpful. So your interactions and helpfulness with people need to be more subtle than that. They need to be more indirect in a way that if you start getting pushback, even when you're subtle and indirect, you know just to leave it alone. They're not ready. They won't really understand. You'll make them feel worse. You'll start an argument. You know, it just won't work out. Then you just have to let them be and figure it out on their own, in their own way, and until they get it. Now, you might be able to give them some options. You might say, well, here's the way I think about it. So you're not talking about what they should do. Just tell them, well, here's how I think about it. And then they can consider it. But if you say, well, here's the way you should think about it, then they immediately have their wall up, and they're not going to listen to anything you say. So talk about yourself. Talk about a friend or somebody else. That's what I mean by being indirect. Being indirect, and, and you can see if they're open to it. And more they're, the more they're open, then the more that you can tell them. The less they're open, then you can let it go. But let your intuition tell you when you need to interact and when you need to let it go, leave it alone. And I think you will know that. After a while, it will become easy for you to find that intuitive feeling of how it is you can best help. But know that if you don't do anything other than just get rid of your own fear, that will be a very big help. Because like we mentioned in the very first first question I answered, if you are there and you are upbeat, you're positive, you've got a smile on your face, that will help everybody that's around you feel better just because you are a good example. And if they say, well, how can you be so cheery? And then you can say, well, I just don't take all this personally. You know, it's just stuff, it just happens. And here I am, and, you know, I get an opportunity to deal with it, however it happens and however that comes out. And, you know, I think it's, you know, this is this is exciting. We're going to learn something from this. You're going to learn something from almost anything that you interact with strongly. If you have your, you know, if you're open to learning, this is going to be a big educational experience, maybe even an experience of a lifetime. 
something that, uh, you know, your, your kids and your grandkids will say, oh, do you remember that big pandemic back in 2020? Yeah, well, my grandmother was in that, and she did this and that, you know. Who knows? It may be one of these big lifetime experiences. It gives a lot of people a big opportunity to grow up, to meet the situation. Well, that's something to smile about. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to make my choices as they come, and I'm going to make this best I can, and we'll see what happens. And that's why I'm smiling. You see, and if you tell people that, it'll help them smile a little bit too, that you're not all wound up over, oh, no, oh, no, what's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to this person and that person and how is this going to work out? And all of that hand-wringing does nothing to help the situation. Actually, it hurts the situation. It makes everything worse because now you're putting all this negative energy to, you know, to help make a more negative future higher probability of a negative future. So it's just not helpful. And I think most people understand that worrying doesn't help, but they do it anyway. But if they see that somebody else is not doing it and it's possible to not do it, well, that may be a whole new idea to them. Oh, it's possible not to worry? You can just accept things as they come and deal with them the best you can? What a concept, you see? And if you're over there smiling and having a good time, then They'll try to emulate you. So sometimes just being there and interacting is kind of your optimal way of teaching and helping those people, even though you don't really directly interact with them with anything. But a very direct interaction is usually not helpful. Uh, the, the problems that people are having, the problems of fear, are not rational problems. Fear is not a rational thing. Okay. Fear is irrational. So these people are having rational problems, and you cannot solve an irrational problem with rationality. You cannot make somebody not be fearful by explaining to them why they shouldn't be. See, that's using rationality. That's using uh, logic to explain to them why their fear is, is irrational doesn't work, just upsets them, makes them feel stupid, makes them feel more inadequate. So when people have beliefs and a fear, you know, the fear creates a lot of beliefs. Fear creates a lot of ego, creates a lot of beliefs. And if people are twisted up in with ego and they have these beliefs and they have these worries, trying to rationally explain things to them, usually it'll just upset them more. Because not only do they have all this to worry about, but now they have to worry about that they're that they're worrying about it. So they failed again. So that's that's the way to, to deal with this. Yes, use your intuition, do what feels right, keep a smile on your face, be positive, and uh, let everything take care of itself. It's a huge opportunity to people to grow up. Yes, it's a terrible, horrible thing. A lot of people are going to die from it. I'm not saying it's a great thing. Let's all, you know, be happy that we have it. I'm just saying it is here. We have it. It's a fact. Let's accept that and learn from it. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm going to 
try to listen more about my intuition and uh, yeah, not with the intellect. Thank you. Luis, please go ahead with your question. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hi, Tom. So, as always, a pleasure to be here. I do feel my questions have been partially answered um, by the answer you gave to Giuseppe on his second question, uh, which I was really thankful for. But I, I'm going to ask them and see if you want to add anything. First one has to do with discipline, since we now at least I do have more time at home, so the, the matter just comes to mind. It says, I've heard you talking about discipline, your main message being be yourself, with which I agree and have seen the benefits uh, 100%. So I'm the kind of person that it's always on time and can, and can have fixed schedules that works in the world of the intellect. But I wonder, forcing yourself to meditate, it's not the same as forcing yourself to be on time or attend a meeting at work. At the being level, uh, I've also heard you say, you can't force anything. So what is the right approach to discipline if meditating just because you have a fixed schedule, want to be like the teacher or compete with others, doesn't really work at the being level? Well, you have to be who you are. You have to be authentic. Mm -hmm. You have to find the authentic you. And if what you find yourself doing is is uh, being like a teacher or competing, then that's not really being authentic. That's you trying to be somebody else or trying to be better than somebody else. You just need to be who you are. At a, you know, you need to not be acting. You need to be operating out of your being level. That's what authentic means. You need to be operating out of this intuitive level that we call the being level. You just are who you are. Because until you are authentic, then it's difficult to learn. It's really difficult to grow. You're in some sort of imaginary space. You're not really in the real space of you. You're in some other space. You're acting like who you want to be or who you'd like to be or how you'd like other people to see you or something else. That's some intellectual space that you've created and you're operating inside that intellectual space. But when you are who you are, now you can learn. You can grow. You can change who you are. But trying to change who you are from the position of not being who you are is impossible. You see, so you have to be authentic first. You, know, you have to be yourself before you can change yourself. You can't be somebody else and then change yourself. Oh, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a, you know, a, a what, a, a spiritual person. I'm going to be a spiritual person and I'm going to be nice and I'm going to be kind and and I'm going to I'm going to help little ladies across the street and I'm going to be pleasant to everyone and da 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 da. Well, that's not being it. That's acting it. That's you trying to act the way you think you should act. But that's different than you just acting because that's the way you are. So that's that's kind of the difference, uh, which is right back to the main message of be yourself. <laughs> that's what you started with. That's really what, what it is. Um, but you say forcing yourself to meditate is not the same as forcing yourself to be on time or attend a meeting at work, but 
I don't know that there's really a big difference. Forcing yourself sounds like you're doing something that you don't really want to do and wouldn't do other than the fact that you think you should do it. You see? Well, that's, again, that's not really being you. You're forcing yourself is already telling you that you're not in in uh, you know, authentic space. Well, you need to, say, attend a meeting at work because that's your job. You've got a responsibility. You've agreed that you will do these tasks and a person will pay you so much money and give you so many benefits for doing that. Well, then you've made that deal. You have a responsibility to carry that out. So be on time for your meeting because that's part of what you're responsible to do. So that's just being responsible. Being authentic is being responsible. It's being responsible for all your choices. Not just doing them because you think you should, but being responsible for them. Now, if you meditate, just begin. If you meditate because you just think you should, well, meditation is a good thing. I really need to meditate twice a day, so I just will. You know, your meditation may not ever take you very far. If you go into that meditation of, oh, I'm going to become more acquainted with my consciousness, with, with my inner self. I'm going to become more connected to that, that uh, inner self of mine in this meditation. And then that's what you're doing. Well, now you'll grow from that because you have, that's what you want to do. But if the only reason you're meditating is because you think you ought to, then you'll go through the motions, but it won't amount to much. And we've all heard people say, well, I've been meditating for six years and never got anything out of it. Well, that's why. You were just, you were just pretending to meditate. You were going through the motions, but not actually connected to get results. You weren't thinking, I'm going to get to understand myself better. I'm going to see the bigger picture. I'm going to just exist at point consciousness. I'm going to uh, open myself up to interacting directly with the larger conscious system, whatever. You're not really being anything. You're just going through the motions. Okay, I'm going to sit here for 20 minutes, repeat my mantra, and when the alarm goes off, I'll get up and do something else. Well, see, yeah, okay, you meditated, but wrong attitude doing it for the wrong reasons so it just doesn't work much now you'll still get some relaxation from it you'll still get some benefit from that meditation but it's not something that's going to really cause you to grow much okay so that's if you're if you're when you do that meditation if your intention is on growing learning becoming then that will happen if it's just doing it to do it not much will happen, except you'll get some relaxation, calm down a little bit. Maybe it'll make you a nicer person for a while, but it's not going to give you big strides in spiritual growth. So does that help? Yes, yes, a lot. Actually, that's a, even a clearer point than the one that I thought I was asking. So thank you very much. <laughs> I try to answer the one that you really were wanted to ask, not the <laughs> one you ask. <laughs> You got it. So, and um, also my second question is related uh, with what uh, you were answering to Giuseppe. And it's about the relationship between the quality of the actions and the teachings of a guy, and mainly talking about a PMR guy, physical uh, person. Because I've been around students and heard from teachers of different traditions and became familiar 
with a kind of thinking in which the quality of the actions and behavior of the person being followed or listened to can be ignored or justified in favor of their wisdom or mastery of a method to achieve enlightenment, for example. This has always been unsettling for me. I don't want to be in search for a saint or person without flaws. Neither do I aspire to learn without being challenged or having my buttons pushed. But I do believe your actions and personal quality affect the quality of the message or guidance you're trying to offer. So if the person is not walking the walk, is if at, at least partially, is it even worth to listen to that person? For example, I came across a guided meditation that seemed fine. The words being spoken made sense, but the voice for me was unsettling. After doing some research, I found out that the person leading the meditation was a hustler actually. So what's the, what was the value in the guided meditation if the person guiding it didn't actually walk the walk? Okay, well, there's really two facets to this question. One we'll deal with is the most obvious, and that is that uh, you know we people are whole people, right? And they also have issues with image versus authenticity. You know that's just kind of natural for most people to have those kinds of of uh, things going on. That they're not always authentic. They're not always who they seem to be. But when somebody says, oh, this is really a very spiritual person and has great wisdom, but they, you know, and they do these other things, they're rude, they're this, they're that, uh, you know, they got arrested last week for shoplifting, you know, you, if you hear, you know, these things, then that tells you that the person is not a very high quality person. Because if you're a high quality person, you're high quality on all your choices, everything you do is high quality. If you're only a high quality person in these things, but not in other things, that means you're not a high quality person. You're acting like a high quality person. And if you're not a high quality person, then you probably don't have a lot of wisdom. You're probably regurgitating things that you think sounded wise to you that you read someplace else. Or maybe you're even uh, good at little sound bites, saying things that are kind of obscure. That way nobody can really pin you down on what it means. And then you give a little smile to make it think that if you were smart enough, you'd understand, you see, and then you expect people to get something from that. Okay, so if a person's grown up, they're grown up in all their aspects. In as much as they have aspects that are not grown up, that tells you that, to that extent, that's what they're not grown up in all their aspects. So we're not, we don't, uh, you know, it's not that uneven. Now, if you're talking to somebody who's 18 years old, that may be a little different. <laughs> you know, young people may not grow up, you know, all together in the same way. You know, they may be a little more advanced in this area, but still really lacking behind in that because they just haven't gathered enough experience yet. But we're talking now about adults. We're talking about people who are not just in the process of figuring out who they are, but people who have are coming to the table as experts or as people of you know to be reckoned with, people of of substance. Well, there you have you have to walk 
the talk. You have to be that way because you can't be that way sometimes and not be that way other times. If you're, if any time you're not that way, then that's just as much as you're not grown up. So it's just the way it is. I hear people talking about um, uh, sometimes professors that were in graduate school. Oh, so-and-so, he's brilliant. He's really, really brilliant, but he's a terrible teacher. He can't teach, but he's just so totally brilliant. That's why he can't teach. He's so brilliant that his mind is so far beyond everybody else that he just can't teach. And I say nonsense. If he were brilliant, he'd also be a good teacher. What he is is self-centered. And teaching is about other. And he just can't be bothered to be about other that much because he's so wrapped up in what else he's doing. That's what he is. It's not that he's so brilliant that uh, he can't connect to those lesser minds that are in his, you know, his student class. If he were brilliant, he'd know how to connect with those minds. He would care about connecting with those minds, and he'd find a way to do it very effectively. So, yeah, we get that a lot, where people tend to, to, um, you know, they show, they show a lot of promise in one area, and not so much in others. And we think it's just because they're so, they're so good. He's so highly evolved that he's nasty to people because he's just so far above them. He can't. He can't tend to, he just cannot deal with the crude, crass people of the world. He's so far above them. That's why he's rude to everybody. Nonsense. That's not the way it works. If you're highly evolved, you care about all the people. Everybody's important. Everyone is significant. And you're never mean to anybody. Because that's a high entropy thing. So don't uh, get the wool pulled over your eyes by hustlers who appear to be one thing and are and are something else altogether. If they really are highly spiritual people, they will express that in everything they do and in everybody they meet. They'll express that in how they, you know, and how they treat the dog and the cat, you know, in the in the home that they're visiting. They'll express that in every way, not just. Um, you know, not just when they're standing up in front of people. So they come and sit down in your house and completely ignore your children because they just want to talk to the adults and the kids come in and they just ignore them like they're not there or like they're a nuisance. Well, that's not such a highly evolved person, you see. That's somebody who's wrapped up in their own thing and what they're doing and how they're delivering it that they don't like interruptions from the outside. Well, that's not being evolved. That's being self-centered and self-focused. So you look for all these details. That's one of the ways that you look to see, is a person really grown up? I mean, are they for real? You have to see how do they act everywhere in their life. That will, that will tell you a much more accurate story. You know, how do they, after they leave the podium, how do they talk to their helpers? How do they talk to the guy who works the lights and the guy who works the sound? Do they treat them like slaves? You know, do they just don't have a word for them? Don't appreciate the work they do? You know, well, that tells you something about them. So this is the way you, you know, you have to see people as a whole person, not just as peace parts. Peace parts can be very deceiving. Thank you very much. That was tremendously helpful. Thank you.